Welcome to Timeline Scavengers, the podcast specifically designed to last forever. I'm Colin Parker, one of your hosts. And I'm James Anderson, one of your other hosts. On this show, we're going through the MCU in historical order, scene by scene or day by day until the end of time. That it is, James, and we are cruising right along through some uh, brand new years and some brand new shows, such as Agent Carter. And what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be talking about Agent Carter, Season 1, Episode 1, and a little bit of Agent Carter, Season 2, Episode 8. So here's your timestamps. You're going to start with Season 1, Episode 1, starting at 13 minutes and 32 seconds and ending at 21 minutes, 25 seconds. Then in a new tab on your Chrome browser, just have another window of Disney Plus open to Agent Carter Season 2, Episode 8, starting at 1 minute and 31 seconds, ending at 2 minutes and 38 seconds. Then go back to that first tab and finish the 21.25 to 26.55 timestamp. And here is what happens. Agent Carter is back at SSR. She sees Daniel Sousa working on the Howard Stark case, and she talks him up while looking over his shoulder, feeding him very light misinformation to make him question his line of thinking, so he'll waste time searching other avenues. She finds out from him that they found someone who's fencing some of uh, Stark's tech, and they're going after them. Carter pretends to bring coffee into the conference room, which she's technically not allowed into for this meeting, but uses their inability to see her as an agent against them to not only stick around long enough to get all the info that she needs, but also to play on their insecurities of not being able to speak to a woman about her health uh, and about women's health issues to give them the slip and leave the office and get a head start. At La Martinique, Spider Raymond meets with a mute man named Branus and is buying something quite deadly from the stolen wares of Stark's basement. He does inquire about purchasing other things with a line of, what else do you got from his basement? A-bombs? Ray guns? Jane Russell's number? He laughs, but Brandis does not. When he sees that that's it, he hands over the cash and is now the owner of a nitramine bomb. Brandis exits as Carter, undercover, steps into the club. She sneaks around and tricks her way into Spider's office, but not before getting partially photographed by a club photographer. She goes into his office and begins to use the power of seduction to have him let his guard down, and he kind of does half the job for her as he forces the kiss on her, but her sweet dreams lipstick knocks him out. She breaks into the safe and gets the bomb. She calls Jarvis, who tells her how to defuse it, along with some very witty back and forth that will all come to love from this duo. Now, here's where we have that time split, right? For Jarvis, the conversation ends as he greets his wife, who has just returned home, and he talks to her about who he was on the phone with, and she learns for the first time about Peggy Carter. Jarvis remarks, she's not like the others. I think he actually respects her. And then as uh, he turns on Benny Goodman, he promises his wife that Peggy Carter will not disrupt their lives. Meanwhile, Peggy sneaks her way out of La Martinique as the rest of the SSR boys arrive. As she is slinking out, the original nitramine buyer shows up and kills Spider, just in time for the SSR boys to find the murder scene and emptied safe. They seal all the exits, but it is too late. Finally, Peggy gets home to her roommate, Colleen, and while she disarms the bomb in the bathroom, the man from the club sneaks in and murders her roommate. The two fight. Carter burns the man's hand and sends him through the window, but when she looks out to see him below, he is gone. 
She then mourns the loss of her friend. And that is a season wrap on Colleen. Colleen, we hardly knew ye. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were mostly sick and feverish all the time we knew you. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this, though. Her headache's gone. In the end, it wasn't the TB. That's true. That's true. Hey, she was TBD to be dead. Oh, there you go. So that's the scene. Yeah. There wasn't a lot to research here. Sure. Um. So to me, it's really just this is the scene. So how do we feel about this one? I found out something interesting. So Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, as this was the the pilot episode, they decided to use two often seen female spy tactics in the pilot and then burn them forever. So in this pilot, she uses female troubles as an excuse to get out of something, and she works as a, as a seductress in a blonde wig. And they said, then made sure they would not be repeated during the rest of the season. And and I think that is very cool. Because they're like, look, she can do that. And you can pro- you know, you'll know you probably use some of these shots in like pr- the promo and whatever. But this isn't her. This isn't how she operates. She's not a Black Widow. This is not sort of how she does things. At least for the rest of season one. Yeah. No, for sure. And I, I think it's cool just simply because like... Like it's it's very tropey, mm-hmm. and I also think that like it's cool to like to do this simply to be like, listen, we get what people I think maybe expect of this time, but like that's not what this is. Right. But you know, give them a little razzle dazzle, and then yeah, say exactly she doesn't need to be that way. And I think right. part of it is because you know, as certain storylines open and finish, kind of thing people start to realize that she is valuable outside of these things. And she doesn't need to use those tactics because there's more leeway given, you know? Absolutely. But until you get to that point, you do have to kind of do your typical espionage. And like, sure. It like, to some extent, it's one of those things where you're like, it sucks that like people have to do these types of things. And these tropes exist for a reason or whatever. But it's also because, I mean, again, it's what I was saying earlier about like, their inability to see her as a agent, mm-hmm. right? It, it's it's their undoing in this entire thing. I mean, absolutely. Because even if, even if she didn't do this thing, they would have been too late. They were right. they were futzing around, you know, waxing poetic and like you know, right. And it's like no, yeah. Go ahead. Spider probably wouldn't have been dead because he. Didn't well, have the thing the guy wanted. Here's another thing to consider. Do you really think, though, that that guy was going to then let him talk? I think when he showed up, he was probably not planning on killing Spider. <laughs> James? <laughs> I, I think no, that he was. I think that's a actually. very cogent point that he was probably not letting, going to let him uh, get away with, um, you know. Because something as a witness and whatever, right? Well, because something to consider here too, right? Is like we've we have two people in one day that we are finding and introducing ourselves to essentially here that can't speak, right? But I sure. also think, and now granted, it might be that when he walks in, when we cut back to the scene and see him in the office, it's that they've already gotten through the exposition, if you will, of 
hey, sorry, I'm just now waking up. Oh, this is crazy. You're not going to believe it. Someone stole it from me. And then they cut right. to this part where he already has the gun out, right? right. I kind of feel like he walked in kind of gun, yeah. like getting ready to be like, hey, I'm actually not going to buy it. You're actually just right. going to give it to me. You know what I mean? That's right. sort of how I was expecting it to go. That makes sense to me. Of also a little bit of something that we've talked about off air, Blade 3, Blade Trinity, where he's like, if I show you this, they'll kill me. And he's like, motherfucker, I'll kill you. Right? Like, it's like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, the, whether you do this or not, I'm going to kill you. Right? Like, right. you're going to be dead. So just get me the thing and let's get it over with. Right. So I feel like that's sort of how that goes. It's cool because it's not like a, a, a Marvel situation that I'm talking about specifically here. But I think a lot of TV shows, because of pilots and the way things work, not every show does a very good job of starting off what the entire season's arc is going to be. In right. the Like a lot of the times your first episode is let's meet the characters. Right. And then we'll start the problems. Right. Right. This is like, we're, I mean, you know, 27 minutes in basically by the end of this scene. And right. we've already met two characters that are clearly going to be an issue. And again, I think the thing about them being, you know, mute is mm. also like a fascinating challenge for these people. For sure. I mean, the characters of like, of the SSR, you know, literally like, you know, you have these essentially these no joke here silent assassins right you know uh and because people can't speak to them or or hold a conversation with them there's like no information to go off of right so you know you have a lot of of this stuff but i mean i don't know it's it's fascinating to watch a situation though where the ssr is a little bit of that like it's a boys club you know yep and the boys club is not efficient at all <laughs> no <laughs> and i th i think that that's also cool for them to start off with that as well like i feel like it'd be interesting if you know if you had a situation like the one shot where she sees right. people going out on missions and coming back and they're successful and doing their job or whatever right but then like you know then and then she goes off and does a secret mission right at that point then you're just rehashing you know but right, like in right. this situation Right. This is like a, oh, you know, let the let the men handle it. Like we've got this, right. and they take so long. Yeah. Now, granted, I also think part of that is them getting the the warrants. Right. But here's another interesting question, because I don't know how this sort of thing works. If you're like like for like national security and stuff like that, right? Okay. If you're like, we have actionable details that this person has this bomb, do you still need to go get a court order to go into that person's place? Or if it's if it's for national security, would you not be able to just sort of go? You don't need a warrant if there's a reason, if like there's an actual like timely reason to go in there. So like if you think someone has sold Stark tech and Stark weaponry, oh. right? Because um, like they they make sure to step in with a warrant and all that other stuff. So like, you know, I I don't know how that works. I mean, again, it's a fictional group. If like if it was a bomb that was gonna go off, you would need a warrant to go in. Right. If you saw like, if you saw them like moving the nitramine from one car to the other, <laughs> like 
Mm. you wouldn't need a warrant. But like because they need to go in and presumably have him open the safe, that is a a warrant sort of deal. That makes sense. I think. That's fair. I think. Okay, I I can I can get behind that concept because I was like, you know, this is this is like a, an interesting territory for me as well, where, you know, also at the end of the day, like this is a fictional organization. They're not police, but they're not right. the FBI either. You know, which right. I think is very much like a still a very domestic force. But it's like right. I feel like I don't see a lot of. I mean, again, I could be totally wrong on this. I might just be because now I'm actively thinking about it. Right. right. Versus like, you know, when I've watched so many TV shows and movies or whatever, how many times have I seen them have like an FBI like situation where they have a warrant? Right. Right. But like, I just don't think anything of it because I'm like, oh, I'm so used to like this being a concept. But once I had to start right. going, it's 1946. It's a fictional like thing. Cause also like, I don't know, there's like that element of there's, they're supposed to kind of be spies kind of, but also not, I, right. it's, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of wiggle room, I think, within the SSR sure. that makes you go, how do right. they operate? Right. Especially because, real fast, actually, I forgot about this. I didn't write it down, but I did have a note of how interesting it is of, of how the operation of the team goes between this and the one shot. So okay. let, me, let me specify this. In the one shot, everyone is at their desks. And what happens is the chief gets a call on the phone that also makes an alarm go off. So everyone gathers their stuff and just stands at the ready. Right. The chief gets like a like thing and he writes out the, the mission parameters, I guess. And then it's like, great. Right. And then hangs up and then assigns that mission. Right. And then the rest of the people sit back down. In this right. situation or in this show, not how it operates at all. They like they just have a conference room. They go over data and dossiers and all this other stuff. And like, there is seemingly no like alarm system. And like, people just get assigned by right. the chief, who just sort of has the missions already. You know, so it, it is right. interesting to see how it's less robotic, right? Um, and maybe that's why they're failing at things. I don't know. I wonder if it also has something to do with like this is like a a mission like a larger mission that Thompson is in charge of. So it's less like alert, alert. There's a, a thing to track down and more like Thompson follow these clues sort of deal. You know, I think the the better way of describing what I, what I mean here is, is I think that in the one shot, it seems as if they are all like data analysis type people, mm -hmm. like until they are yeah. needed to step into the field. Right? right. In which case they get a call and someone else elsewhere is doing all of the work that Thompson's doing in this episode. And right. they're just given the parameters and then they step out into the field. In this instance, though, there is no call. There is no, you know, outside of the house. It's all, it's all coming from inside the house, right? Like it's all <laughs> coming from inside this SSR building where they don't get the call to do these things. They are make, they are making their own calls, you know? Right. So it, it just feels like either it's a different department that she's now in effectively, right. you know, in this regard. I mean, it's also a much larger office. Sure. Like think of how close those desks and stuff like that were. Yeah. And then like now yeah. there's actually kind of a sprawling space, like very clearly, Hey, we're going to film this in a day in the right. back lot of agents of shield, I guess, you know? Uh, so right. everyone step in, you know, we're, we're going, we're going. 
I, I don't know. It's it's interesting to look at that because like I feel like there was um some level of I mean, although she she insults Flynn and was like, if they wanted yeah. me to feel useful, they wouldn't have sent me to you, right? But I think she's right. saying that mostly because he won't send her out into the field. I feel like though that that group was like it was effective and it was it was like a well-oiled machinist effectively. Right. Whereas this is like Krasminski is like eating a donut and like making a fart joke. And uh, again, also to to bring it back also to the conversation where she's in the conference room, I'll tell you, the chief doesn't miss stuff necessarily. Or they, they make it seem yeah. like he doesn't miss stuff and then they continue to miss a lot in the rest of the scenes here. But like right. it's, you know, she's doing this thing where she's like, oh, they don't see me as an agent, so they won't even recognize that I'm in here. But like without right. even turning to look at her, he's like, "You grinding beans back there, Carter?" <laughs> It'd be better if you didn't say anything at all. You know, it's a very like Phillips thing. Also, mm -hmm. it's I mean, you know, it's very much like a I recognize that you've been in this room for far too long. What's what right. the fuck's going on, Neil? Uh, but then also, right. I love that after she's like, "I wonder if I could leave." He's like, "What headache or what?" And then she's like, "You know." ladies issues and he's like oh oh god ugh. the human <laughs> body gross right yeah and then after they leave and they're all like you women's body right and they have that moment yeah. i like when they look at krasminski and he goes what's wrong you got issues that need taken care of too and he's like i mean he doesn't say out loud what no 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 but like he gives that look of like me oh me no yeah me. i'm fine yeah. like because he's kind of laughing it off like everyone right. else is like, oh, it's gross. And then like Krasminski's like laughing about it. Right. You know, and he's like, he's like, all right, you, you know, listen, we're doing the proper thing by being grossed out by women's bodies. <laughs> you're being improper by, by laughing about it. Gross. Yeah. I'm calling <laughs> What are you comfortable when you're. <laughs> yeah. In sexuality and like, you know, women's health and like body, you know, autonomy. And he's like, ha, ha, ha. no, it's, you know, <laughs> no, <laughs> no accidentally based Krasminski and he's like it turns out he's a womanizer but like he's a womanizer that is also a feminist and you're like but like in a good way you're like how does that make any sense he's like listen he's a serial cheater but like he believes in the rights of every single one of them <laughs> exactly he's like you have the right to help me cheat on my wife <laughs> um but yeah anyway that that's all that I really have for this. Um I I cool. I like this bit like it's it is cool to see some of you know the the way that they kind of operate through this. It's one of those things where I think as you watch the rest of the episode I think a lot of this stuff falls into place. But for sure. I I never felt like this scene was gross. The meeting scene. Yeah, like the meeting scene. Yeah, sorry, thank you. Yeah. I never like at no point have I watched that scene and been like Ah, oh, come on, really? Yeah. And I think it is because like of everything that we have seen of her even so far. And I'm talking like this is my thought process even before I ever watched all the way through. Right. Seeing her kind of dip into this, like I was kind of like, you know, it was so drastically different that I don't I didn't feel like it was gross simply because it didn't feel like they were doing this all the time and probably weren't going to do it all the time. Right. Because, like, you know, characters like Black Widow were always in comics and everything like that. And also in the original part of the MCU, like, they toned down how much they sexualized her. Sure. Right? But, like, they were... 
in the movie they toned down how much they sexualized. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like you know, over like over like the process of a couple of movies, they kind of course corrected, right? Yeah, I was just thinking about some of the comics where it's like, oh yeah, no, some of the comics. Do you are... want to have like side boob in your children's comic? Like some of the some of the comics, we need. I think we need to have some conversations with some of these like artists and some of that, where it's like, yeah. listen, this was gratuitous to a level that is like, can we gross. plan this invasion while I take a shower? I mean, that's, it is, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, does this person have to be the closest person to us in the shot and leaning over the table? You know what I mean? It's like, it's so weird that everyone else is sitting and they're so far away. And like this one character is like, oh, but what's this over here? And let me daintily point as I'm talking, you're like, no one, no one stands like that. So it's like, you're just doing that to be like, hey kids, trying to see some titties, you know what I mean? And it's like, really, it's really uncomfortable at times. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. It just sometimes it feels like the people making comics are a little too horny for what they're drawing. You're like, please, please chill. Um, anyway, that's all that I have, though, for sure. Okay. Uh, what, I have a question. Do you think, what do you think of uh, Peggy Carter as a blonde? It is, it's weird. Yeah, agreed. Off-putting. It, it, I mean, it's also... Her because skin doesn't support blonde. No, she. I mean, it's she is. I think very, very pale. Um, yeah. But I don't think, weirdly enough, like when she has like brown hair, it feels. I don't know why, but it doesn't feel as pale. She's also in like an evening gown. Yeah, and it's just also too. white. You know. Right. It's it's too much white, but also like. Agreed. I because it's a pilot and stuff like that. I get it. Right. Sure. Things are going to be different, but like. It feels like the budget for the wig was also not amazing. It's it's a it's not a good wig. <laughs> and like it's so weird that like he's not immediately like, whoa, what's what's going on here? But how many but like how abnormal would a wig be is my thing. Yeah, no, I I I'm not saying wigs would be out of place, but like no, no, no. I yeah. would imagine wigs looked better in the forties. Than that, maybe that kind of felt like a than that. Sure, it just it felt a little bit like a Halloween mask, and like, right? Maybe not like the the ten dollar things that you get for kids that are basically just like a plastic sheet that has like paint right. on it. Hey, kid, want to cut your face on Halloween? <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, I I I feel like we could have done somewhat better. Right. I think part of it is because it, it is so flat. There's no volume to that hair, and that's why it looks bad. Sure. I agree with that. And, like, even in the 40s, people weren't going for a literal sheet of paper as their hair. You know? That was like a 70s thing. It was very peculiar. (laughs) What is cool to me and interesting was, like, she does, like, an American accent. Yeah. I thought very well. Like, it was was very convincing to me when she... Like, walks up and starts doing another accent. I feel like, you know, part of, like, the trope. This woman undercover, and she's, like, going to try and seduce someone. Because it is interesting, because to me, I feel like a lot of the times Americans find British accents. I mean, really, a lot of the times it doesn't matter where you're from, right? An accent from another area of the world is frequently found to be attractive because it's not the same as yours, right? Yeah. On the flip side of that, I do think... A lot of Americans sort of romanticize a British accent. 
Yeah. But I don't think many British people romanticize American accents, which is interesting to me. Like, right. I've I've never heard of someone being like, oh, he's got such a lovely voice, didn't it? You know, and you're like, yeah. they're talking about like, oh, have you heard Brad Pitt talk? You know, he's so sexy when he talks, right? Like, no, I've never heard. Okay, maybe Brad, Brad, Brad Pitt's probably not a good example. But I've never heard anyone. <laughs> but still, like, I mean, he's he's just a yeah. he's an attractive man. But sure, I've never heard anyone sure. be like, he's got such a handsome face and such a beautiful little accent, right? Like, no right. one's being like, say, you know, say Big Ben for me, right? Like, no one's doing that, right? Whereas, like, right. Americans will be like, hey, say Tuesday, isn't it? Right? Like, okay. Tuesday. Okay, maybe not that. But they'll be like, they'll say something a little bit more like, oh, say schedule and they'd be like schedule you know and you're like oh yeah that's the stuff baby you know <laughs> i spelled laboratory wrong for so long because <laughs> i thought it was laboratory mm-hmm. and like aluminium i was like there's and one eye too many in here <laughs> that's for sure um but yeah no i like you know it's it's just one of those things where like it's interesting but also yeah it makes total sense because if they're going to talk to someone from the ssr and you say, yeah, a British lady came through, right? Yeah. They would go, huh, what British lady do we know, right? <laughs> Fascinating. The only one that we know within 100 miles is this one, right? And Peggy Carr's like, hello, hello. Right. Just thinking about jolly old England. Right. I mean, now, granted, she could do like a, like a different British accent. Because then, right. if, if then if they go like, is this her? And then they like say something, um, I'm sorry, I believe they want me to say something to you. And it's like... No, no, she sounded a little bit more like, Oi, bruv, what's going <laughs> on then? What's all this then? I'm here to talk to Spider Raymond, which I also get. That's not very seductive. But like, she, I don't know. It just, it works very well. She does like a, almost like a classic femme fatale type right. situation. And it, and it works. Well, hey, I have uh, one earphone left and it's it's getting close to dying. So let me do some Avengers Ensemble. Absolutely. And we we'll get, get out, out of here. here. Yep. All right. Avengers Ensemble. So Spider Raymond is played by Andre Royo, who was in two episodes of Bob's Burgers, one episode of Key and Peel, three episodes of Fringe, one episode of Party Down, two episodes of Heroes, 52 episodes of The Wire, which is where I know him from, uh, two episodes of Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles, and he was in the Samuel L. Jackson movie version of Shaft. Leet Brannis is played by a guy named James Frain, who is in one episode of What We Do in the Shadows, one episode of the 2019 Twilight Zone, nine episodes of Star Trek Discovery, eight episodes of Orphan Black, 21 episodes of Gotham, seven episodes of True Detective, one episode of Sleepy Hollow, eight episodes of Grimm, 10 episodes of The Cape, which is a show I always forget existed. Uh, He was in Tron Legacy, eight episodes of True Blood, two episodes of Flash Forward, two episodes of Fringe, one episode of Medium, 10 episodes of 24. He was in the, in my opinion, far underrated Ben Affleck movie, Reindeer Games, and he was in one episode of Tales from the Crypt. Uh, Tipsy Guy is what he's credited as. He's the guy that, that oh, uh, yeah. Peggy wants to dance with Peggy and then gets to dance with Peggy, is played by a man who apparently his name is Tim True, but he is one of the few people in today's and and last episodes uh Avengers Ensembles that was not in either True Blood or True Detective. He was in four episodes of American Vandal, two episodes of Grimm, and one episode of Portlandia. Uh the guy credited as Tall Bouncer, who is the guy Peggy talks to on the stairs right. up to see Spider, is a guy named Carrick O'Quinn. 
Uh, he was in one episode of American Horror Story. He was in the movie I Am Number Four. One episode of Better Off Ted. One episode of How I Met Your Mother. One episode of Chuck. Two episodes of Twenty Four. He was in the movie The Master of Disguise oh, wow. with uh, uh, what's his name, Dana Carvey. Uh, he was in one episode of The Tick. One episode of The Fugitive, and he was in the X Files movie. Uh, the bartender that interrupts Spider and Peggy kissing is a guy named Johnny Marques or Marques or Marks. Probably Marquis. M A R Q U E S. Marquis, right? Sure, that's a, that's one way. Uh, short bouncer that approaches Jack and all the SSR people is a guy named Jeffrey David Anderson. Uh, he was in one episode of Glow. Sasha Demidoff is a guy is played by a guy named James Landry Hebert. Sasha Demidoff, I think, is the name of the guy that it kills Colleen. I think he's the other. I think it's Leap Brannis and Sasha Demidoff are the two people that don't speak in this. Uh, it's play, so, uh, and it's Hebert because there's an accent over it. He was in the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He played Clem, who is one of uh, Charles Manson's people. Two episodes of Stranger Things, three episodes of Westworld. He was in Gangster Squad, Looper, and Super 8. Season two, episode eight of Agent Carter is called The Edge of Mystery. It aired on February 23rd, 2016. It was written by Brant Engelstein, uh, who wrote two other episodes of Agent Carter, uh, and Lindsay Allen, who wrote other episodes of stuff. We've met her. uh, We talked about her by name in a recent episode that came out. I think she must have written an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. uh, episode that we talked about. Uh, It was directed by Metin Hussein who directed one episode of American Gods, three episodes of Krypton, seven episodes of Outlander, one other episode of Agent Carter, and three episodes of Merlin. And finally, Anna Jarvis is played by someone named Lottie Verbeek. She was in seven episodes of The Blacklist and eight episodes of Outlander. And it is my opinion that probably the director knew that she was cool on Outlander and hired her to be in this. But she was already way in this, so that doesn't make any sense. But as far as our timeline goes... (laughs) That is it for Avengers Ensemble. Cool. Shall I take us out of here with a Patreon reference? Um, Yes. Yeah, go for it. Okay. We have a Patreon uh, uh, that you can sign up for for the Scavengers Network as a whole network. It is at patreon.com slash the Scavengers Network. In it, you can get access to all sorts of bonus content. Everything from uh, I once ranked all of the... uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe gag reels, which I just found out there's one for Doctor Strange 2 that I haven't gone over yet, that I haven't seen. There's also bonus episodes of shows like ours where we had uh, Timeline Scavengers Annual Number 1, colon, 1931. We're recording Timeline Scavengers Annual Number 2 t- later today. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> on October 17th, 2022. Uh, there's also like whole shows like um, Rude Boy Summer that Colin hosts, which is only available on Patreon. Um, also, bonus, uh, you know, like writing stuff that Aaron has done, that I've done, um, videos that Mason has done, all sorts of stuff. Patreon.com slash The Scavenger Network. $2 a month on up to $1 million is a tier that you can actually sign up for. Um, please feel free to spend your millions of dollars on us. Uh, that is patreon.com slash The Scavenger Network. So that is going to do it for us for today. I'm excited to talk more about Agent Carter, Colin, but uh, I also we need to go uh, have a moment of silence for Colleen. Mm. So I'm going to go yep. do that. Um, Same. Thank you all for listening. As always, I am James Anderson. I'm Colin Parker. And as a final note, Werner Reinhardt is still in prison. Bye.